Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 16 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, Oscar nominations are out. Oscars, Oscars, Oscars! Yeah, that's right. So we got the we got the whole list of movies now that we need to watch in the next month. So so how many behind uh, do you think you are? Uh, like forty two. Nothing crazy. Oh, okay, well that's not too bad. I think I think I'm like 40, 40 behind, but a lot of short films, short documentaries. So I should be able to catch up. I think so. Yeah, yeah. What are you looking uh, forward to most to see? Oh, so so I've done most of the the bigger pictures. So I'm really just kind of waiting for the father to come out onto anything for me to see it, you know, still not, still probably not going to venture out to the uh, movie theater to see that one. So I'm going to wait for uh, some sort of streaming option for that. What about you look like you got into uh, watching Mank over the weekend? How is that? What are you looking forward to checking out? I am also looking forward to the father. I think it's kind of very English patient esque where it's Mm -hmm. nominated for you know, a lot of nominations. It's got six nominations, but no one has seen it yet. So uh, um, is it, it's kind of weird. It, I thought it was uh, 10 on that one, isn't it? Is it 10? No, Mank was, oh. was nominated for 10. Um, oh, oh, which yeah, is yeah, brilliant. Right. I'm really looking forward to Minari because I mm-hmm. really love, um, I, I'm just so thrilled that the main actor has gotten the accolades that he's gotten. Um, and I've heard mm-hmm. great things about it from an acting perspective. Yeah, uh, and then Yen. Sound of Metal. Yeah, Salem, I love Riz Ahmed. Um, he was amazing in The Night Of. That's when I really discovered him. So um, oh, okay. anything he does, I think he's just brilliant. So super yeah. looking forward to that. I think I'd and, only seen him in uh, Rogue One, Star Wars stories. So definitely gets my vote for him right there. So yeah, for sure. Those are uh, good ones. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, like I said, looking forward to checking out The Father. Um, I did watch Minari uh, this past week. We uh, rented it. It's available to to rent now, so we check that one out. Yeah, it's re- it's really good. So you'll you'll definitely enjoy that one for sure. Yeah. But but you know what? A lot of a lot of Oscar talk, but that's that's not what we're here for this week. You know, now I'm ready to talk about this week's movie and and have a drink. And I'm thinking a whiskey sour. You know, not three or four whiskey sours, but like eight whiskey sours. Eight. Yeah. Well, you know, Rick Dalton would tell you that eight's too many, but if you put it in a stein and you drink them rehearsing your lines in a giant swimming pool overlooking the valley in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I guess that could be arranged. Yeah, we could do that. Well, why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about this week's cocktail. So this week is uh, different than some of the other weeks that we've done because we have multiple recipes that we're going to be discussing. Um, mm-hmm. They came from a really great article we found from uprocks.com. And we're going to link the article and in, in the show notes on our website. Um, so be sure to check that out um, because it's kind of a, a whiskey sour flight that we're doing today. Yeah. So in this article, the, the author of it basically tries to recreate the two different versions we see. Uh, Rick drink in the film, the versions of the whiskey sour. So you'll see him kind of drinking one at this bar in the beginning of the film. And then he makes up a big stein of those for himself later. Um, And then just to kind of top it off, the author of this article also makes kind of a more refined version that you would get, you know, kind of modern day. If you went to a a swankier cocktail bar, they would probably make you something more along the lines of this uh, third version of this. 
Right. Right. And the whiskey sour is actually really old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like really old, <laughs> really old. So, so, so you see, I was I, I looked it up, and we get the first mention of the whiskey sour. It comes from this newspaper article, um, in 1870, and it's from the Waukesha Plain Dealer, um, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is the first place I think of when I think of a whiskey sour. Now, I have not ever been to Waukesha, Wisconsin. Michaela, you have been to Waukesha, Wisconsin. I did, sure have. Did I... you did you have a whiskey sour when you were there? I did not. And now I have to go back because um, (laughs) and see see it. And I want to say, you know, it makes sense that it's so old. I think that all of the drinks that I've had with like a shaken egg Mm -hmm. white in it, they all, you know, it was the one time we were all going to get protein because we were all alcoholics (laughs) or something at the time. Um, So we needed something to make it a little bit healthier. And, And since it was not couldn't just be pure alcohol. We, we add some of that in it. I, I, that is just amazing to me. I have to go back now. Yeah. It was very random when I, when I saw it. So yeah, definitely, definitely surprised me for sure. Well, we have three whiskey sours to make and to drink, so we better get started. Um, so the first one, this is going to be more along the, the lines of the first one we see him drinking at the bar. So this is just going to be really, really simple, really standard, easy for anyone to make. So it's going to be two ounces of bourbon and we used wild turkey. Um, and apparently, if you read in the article, uh, that particular cocktail bar uses wild turkey, uh, which is why that was the one that he'd used in the article. Yeah. So so it's going to be two ounces of the bourbon, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. And then that's just shaken together with ice and dumped into a glass and garnished with the maraschino cherry. Super simple. Super simple. All right. Uh, do you wanna, why don't you uh, tell everyone how to do the... Uh, little fancier one that uh that rick makes in his yeah. uh on his day of rehearsing when he, lines when he makes a plethora of them and dumps them in a stein mm-hmm. um yeah so <clears throat> this one is a uh, one and a half ounces of bourbon we continue to use wild turkey because we had it around uh mm-hmm. it's three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup and then we also used one egg white and then you shake that with ice and then you dump it into a glass and you garnish that with a maraschino cherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the big difference there just adds the egg white and it cuts back on the lemon juice a little bit more. So a little bit a little bit creamier taste yeah. uh, to it. That, that one was definitely better than the first one, I thought. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely. And then, definitely. We get, and then we get to the third one, which is more of the, the modern day uh, take on it. So that's going to be one and a half ounces of bourbon three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, and one egg white. So it's actually, it's the same ingredients. The big difference here is that you shake the ingredients together by themselves without ice for about 20 seconds, and then you add ice and shake it again. And that just gives it a super creamy uh, texture. Um, you get a kind of a foamy little head on yeah. it. As you, as you pour it out, you strain it, you strain it off of the ice just into a chilled rocks glass. And then you want to garnish that one with an Amarina cherry, uh, which if you've had a fancy cocktail at a cocktail bar, you've probably seen an Amarina cherry. It's kind of that darker red, almost like candied tasting cherry, uh, but we couldn't find those. So we just, uh, we went with the old standby, the maraschino cherry. And what you could do too, is uh, use one of the maraschino cherries that is dipped in moonshine. Uh, that's an option that I definitely availed myself out of, uh, when I was watching this film again, because I, uh, couldn't find the Amarina cherry either. So 
either way we'll do either way we'll do yeah so so we made we made all three of these we tried all three uh which of the three was your favorite you know i have to say the third one um i really liked there's i think you have to really be into egg white drinks in order to taste the difference um i was able to but barely so if you're not gonna do a dry shake and you're just trying to get it done Mm-hmm. and get as many of these into your system as possible, kind of like Rick Dalton. Um, you know, right. you can go with the second option because it's basically the same recipe. I really mm-hmm. think, though, you really want to avail yourself of the egg white and you want to skip the, fr- I mean, I would skip the first option unless you just didn't have one on hand, right? It's it's right. it's a completely different drink. It's so much silkier and smoother with the egg white in it. Um, just mm-hmm. make sure that you you know, get a good one, you know, and that you've refrigerated it and everything right, if you're yeah. afraid to use it. I didn't think I was going to like it with the egg white in it, to be honest, because I didn't mm-hmm. think I was that big of an egg white drink kind of girl. Um, mm-hmm. But I really, really liked it. And yeah. um, it is pretty simple to make. Yeah, that one was that one was my favorite of the three. And after I tried it that first time, I've found myself wanting to uh, try it again and again. And like you said, it is super simple to make if you you know, you have lemons on hand. It's basically the the juice of a lemon and, you know, your bourbon and egg white and your simple syrup, which you should always just have on hand anyway. Um, anyone who doesn't know, to make your simple syrup, it's just equal parts sugar and water. You just bring that to a boil and then dissolve the sugar and cool it down so you can always just have some in the fridge for your cocktails. But, but yeah, definitely the third one was my favorite. Um, now, if I could, you know, lounge around in Rick's pool in the Hollywood Hills. I could probably, I could probably, you know, settle for, settle for the second one. You know, the ones that, that Rick was uh, having eight of that day, but. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. He did uh, have a lot of them. He, he had this really cool system going right in the scene because he's learning his lines for, for a film and he's mm-hmm. kind of got this tape deck is is reel to reel that he's sitting on his lap and he's got this ginormous stein and he's sitting in this pool I mean, exactly. I, I, I could do that. I could, yeah. I could definitely uh, make that happen. That, sound, that sounds good. Well, let us know at home, uh, which three of these three is your favorite version of the whiskey sour. And we'll take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about this week's film. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Spoiler warning for once upon a time in Hollywood. If you've not yet seen this film, please stop. Go make yourself three or four or eight whiskey sours. Watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we'll see you in about three and a half hours. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Get the get those whiskey sours because it, it is a lengthy one, but but definitely a good one to watch. So uh, this film was released in 2019, which feels like forever ago. Right? It sure does. <laughs> on, a, on a side note. But yeah. So released in 2019, it was directed by Quentin Tarantino. What was? It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Margot Robbie, and like a ton of other uh, Hollywood A-listers that are going to uh, dip in and out of this film. So we'll kind of, we'll touch on those kind of as we go through as they're coming in and out. So uh, this movie, in keeping with the uh, theme for this time of year, was uh, nominated for 10 Academy Awards, uh, but it only won two of those. Brad Pitt won for Supporting Actor, and Barbara Ling and Nancy Hay, hi, one for the best achievement in production design. And it's easy to see why, because this film is just incredible to look at and it doesn't make any sense how they were able to film it at all and make it come together. So, so kudos to those, but it, but it lost on eight. So including, you know, best picture of the year, best actor for Leonardo DiCaprio, best original screenplay, 
Um, so, you know, one, two, but lost eight. So. Mm -hmm. And last week we covered Casablanca, which was the first film to win either a Oscar or golden globe. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it actually won the Oscar, but lost to the golden globe. And so this is the most recent example of one winning a golden globe for best picture, uh, but losing to the Academy award because mm-hmm. it was nominated and it did not win, but it did win for um, best. Yeah, one best musical, musical comedy yeah. in the in the Golden Globes that year. Yeah. So, so yeah, a little, uh, another one of those films that won one and not the other. So so we started with the, uh, the first one and now we're at the most recent one. So. Mm-hmm. Coming yeah. full circle. Yeah, so so what do you think? Do you think um, the two that it won, Brad Pitt and the, and the production design, you think that those were uh, well-warranted? Absolutely. I I love Brad Pitt. And I think he is one like Leonardo DiCaprio. I think they they are both very underrated. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything Leonardo DiCaprio touches is amazing. And I will say that, you know, Brad Pitt has a has a different kind of style. Obviously, they're not the same person. They're different. Um, But so you can you can see where he's done some comedies. You can see where he's done some, you know, very dramatic roles. He was mm-hmm. amazing in like 12 Monkeys. He has done some pro- producing. He, he's just amazing. And this film, he's really brilliant in it. Some of the just idiosyncrasies that he's kind of tipped off. There's a, the scene where he's fixing a antenna on a roof. And mm-hmm. there's a scene where he's on a boat and he's like holding this harpoon gun. And just the way in which he's carrying himself is very different as a person who you know wanted to be an actor growing up you know there's a lot of things that you have to practice and be very good at and he just makes it look so effortless and flawless in this film Mm -hmm. um i definitely thought he did warrant the win and then of course the production design is freaking insane i mean i i don't know how they did it i don't know how they did it i don't know how they could have done it on the sound stages we're not I don't think they're big enough. I, I just don't know how they did it. Yeah, I mean, it, it had to have been just, you know, entire like airports worth of runways where they, you know, recreated this, you know, 1960s Hollywood because there are very long stretches where you'll see uh, Brad Pitt's character in the car just driving through, you know, 1969 Hollywood and all of the the cars are, you know, perfect to time, all of the buildings, everything. It just, it looks unbelievable, so. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of care went into it, and like you said, Brad Pitt he he pulls off that you know sort of you know late sixties sort of uh, swagger of you know just this couldn't care less attitude, and you know of like a like a stunt guy, right? Kind of right, kind yeah. of a, kind of a, a laid back tough guy almost, but yeah, he's he's perfect at it. So, oh yeah, well, and when he kicks the shit out of supposed to be Bruce Lee um that's just pretty epic and amazing yeah that's pretty that's pretty great so well why don't we uh why don't we get into the to the film and it starts off you know kind of setting the tone you get the the Columbia Pictures logo but it's like the like the vintage one almost kind of that kind of yeah crayon looking colored in sort of sort of a thing like like a like a clay look at to it uh really great and you get into this great kind of television advertisement for Bounty Law who stars Jake Cahill or you know Jake Cahill is the the lead of this tv show Bounty Law you get the advertisement and then it cuts back to uh, sort of a Hollywood reporter must have been on like the like the nightly news or some sort of right. entertainment show at the at the time and we we get introduced to kind of our 
two main characters of the film. So Rick Dalton, who is the one who plays Jake Cahill in Bounty Law, who is played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Cliff Booth, who is played by Brad Pitt, um, who is his stunt double. Right. Which is interesting because they don't really look anything alike uh, in and of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they the, the way that they're sitting and, and they're dressed in different uh, clothes in this take, but throughout the film, you see examples of them kind of working together. And it is kind of mm-hmm. interesting the way that that works. You know, they go through and they kind of explain in a very dialogue driven scene where mm-hmm. Rick is saying, you know, I'm not a stunt man. Um, I'm a, I'm an actor. And if I break a leg or hurt my ankle or something, uh, riding mm-hmm. a horse or falling out of a car or something, um, you know, that, that can cost production a lot of money. And that's where Cliff comes in because he carries the load, which you find out throughout watching the film that he does a lot more than that. Right. Mm-hmm. He is really one of, if not Rick Dalton's best friend, one of his only friends who is, you know, doing a lot more than just being his stuntman. Kind of. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's really funny. You get Rick talking, saying, "Oh, if I'm getting off the horse and I sprain my ankle, then the production stops. You lose a bunch of money. They don't want me getting hurt." And that's that's where Cliff comes in. You know, they don't care if he gets hurt. Right. And <laughs> so it's, it's, it's yeah, he says that you know Cliff's Cliff's there to to carry my load, and the and the uh, gentleman interviewing them is. You know, Cliff, is that is that correct? Is that how you'd classify? And he says that I carry his load. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it. You know, very very nonchalant about it. But they finish their uh, interview. They're heading off off of the lot. So they get in. They get into this you know beautiful car. Cliff's driving. Rick. We find out it's due to the fact that uh, Rick has lost his license. Uh, had a uh, had one too many whiskey sours before getting behind the wheel. So 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 Cliff's driving him. We get a kind of a little cut scene of. Margot Robbie's character on on this uh, Pan Am flight looked like a big party, you know, kind of just setting setting the tone for everything that's going on here in the late sixties. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't really know who Margot is yet, um, mm-hmm. but you know, there she and kind of an uh, kind of her entourage of people. I think it's an entourage. I'm not sure. There's a group of people that are traveling with her, mm-hmm. um, and they just look very swanky and lovely, and um, they're drinking about a you know they're they're smoking about a thousand cigarettes. <laughs> yep, right. I, I've never been so allergic to uh, smoke before watching this because everyone's smoking a lot. But um, Rick and uh, Cliff head to a bar um, mm-hmm. yep. in their, in their, uh, in the vehicle that uh, Cliff is driving for Rick and um, Cliff has a Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, um, Rick ends up having the first of the whiskey sours that we see mm-hmm. made. Yeah, the first of many whiskey sours. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're in this weird bar. It's kind of dark, and Rick ends up having a meeting with uh, a guy by the name of Mr. Schwartz, played by Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. It's not Mr. Schwartz. It's Mr. Schwartz. So no no T in there. Schwartz. Yeah. Schwartz. Am I saying that? I'm probably not saying that right. No, um, I, I don't think <laughs> I don't I don't think they ever specifically say, but but I assume that Mr. Schwartz is probably like his agent or some sort of like talent scout kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And so they're kind of talking about, you know, what the next cadence of films is going to be and what's, you know, what Rick has done lately. And um, Mr. Schwartz um, says, you know, Hey, what's uh, what have you been doing? And uh, he says, well, you know, I'm playing this guy, I'm playing the heavy 
um, which is, a, I guess, the term for a bad guy. I'm playing the mm-hmm. enemy. I'm playing right. uh, in a couple of these films. And um, they talk a little bit about it. And there's this really cool back uh, flash of some of the films that Rick Dalton has been in. And one of them is this really cool, like, Nazi film. Not that mm-hmm. Nazi films are cool. It's a it's a film about a guy who's taking down the Nazi party. Um, yeah. Very, very reminiscent of Inglorious Bastards, to be honest, because there's like a theater and he's in the back of the theater mm-hmm. and he's got this giant flamethrower and he like burns them all to a crisp. And it's really yeah. kind of cool. You get a, you get a, he talks about, you know, practicing with the flamethrower. So he looked good doing it. And you get a, you get a fun little flashback of him using it. And, and he, he just, you know, lights it up and he looks over at the, I guess the stunt coordinator or whatever. And he's like, that's really hot. Can we get this less hot? And he's like, it's a flamethrower, Rick. He's like, right, okay, never mind. Yeah, so <laughs> he, yeah, so so uh, Mr. Schwartz is talking. He said, "I watched your last two films. You know, watched the first one with my wife. That was uh, Western, and then you know, I watched the second, this uh, you know, World War II, you know, Nazi killing movie. And I thought that wasn't was okay, but my wife really liked the Western. Uh, what I think you should do is you should go to Italy and star in some westerns that they're making over there. Stop, you know, stop being the fall guy in these in these other shows because that just tells people that all oh, this actor's getting the best of you. So if they come out on top, you come out, you know, in second place on all of these guest sh- guest spots you're doing. Right. And and Rick Rick doesn't take this news particularly well. <laughs> they get out to out to the car, him and Cliff, and uh, Rick's just breaking down into tears. Uh, no one no one knows who he is. He doesn't want to go to Italy. He's he's loving uh loving his Hollywood life. He doesn't doesn't want to go there and shoot films. They don't want to make spaghetti westerns. They're horrible. They're horribly mm-hmm. written. They're horribly directed. And Cliff is like, man, calm down. <laughs> calm, you know. Calm. Calm down. He he gives them his sunglasses. He says, "Don't want you know all these people to see you crying. Just you know, <laughs> get get your act together and and get in the car." So they get in get in the car and they're driving out. And you know, there's a there's a group of uh, some uh, girls, I guess, standing on the on the corner. And and Rick yells at them because because they're hippies. And then you get this immediate flash to this other you know giant group of like of like ten girl hippies you know, digging right. through the trash and things. Again, like. <laughs> Two girls are like, I got a loaf of bread. I got, yeah. One of them has like a jar of pickles <laughs> that they've dug out of the trash, and they're walking by. <laughs> yeah, but but that's um, that's important because this group of girls ends up walking out in front of the car that you know Cliff and Rick are in, and that's the, that's the first time Cliff kind of locks eyes with this uh, this one uh, hippie girl, and she's going to come back to play an important part in the film later on but this is kind of the first introduction we get to get to her right right yeah she's the one holding the giant jar of pickles no yep. i mean it, so, it is enormous it's probably like six gallons yeah it, it's a huge jar of pickles for sure i don't know how that got in the trash to be honest but <laughs> or why anybody would want to eat a jar of probably rotten pickles but whatever uh it's yeah. the 60s you know but yeah so so they get back to back to rick's place and as they're pulling in uh, the neighbor's car is there pulling in, and it's Roman Plansky with his, uh, you know, I guess his fiance. I guess yes. is what she is. She is at the time. So this is uh, Margot Robbie's character, and we find out um, that she is uh, Sharon Tate. So this is uh, Roman Plansky's, you know, love interest, and they're kind of there pulling in at the same time. You know, Rick's excited. This was the first time I think that he'd said that he'd seen you know Roman at his house, and you know he's only one barbecue away now from making it really big, right? He's gonna. Right. Hang right. out with and, his neighbor. 
Yeah, yeah. And this is a this is an interesting part of Roman Polanski's career, right? Um, you know, this is before he's he's done some things that has made him pretty famous, but um, mm-hmm. he's definitely an up and comer. And then Sharon Tate was also a rising star. These were, if anybody doesn't know, spoiler alert, these were real people. And this is real, or they are real people. And this was real characters. The actors were based on real characters. So, but yeah, Cliff is very, is trying to get Rick to come around and be more positive. You know, he's like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you're going to, you know, you're going to get to meet them. And he's like, I haven't met him yet, but I'm gonna, and it's going to be great. And, um, and Cliff says, you know, do you need anything? Do you need me for the rest of the night? And, Mm -hmm. uh, and this is when it gets a little awkward. When I watched it, I felt awkward for Rick, but Cliff just makes it like, it's no big deal. Like, and this Mm -hmm. is when you really understand that, you know, Rick, treats him like a friend, but he's very much kind of his gopher, right? So he drives him places, he, right. makes sure he gets up the next morning, he makes sure that he eats, he makes sure that, you know, um, his house is taken care of. He does all of these things. He's really kind of a personal assistant. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he actually gets paid for that. He's, uh, you know, and he does a lot of emotional support for his very thin skin acting friend. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, Cliff asks him if if he needs anything, and then he tells him he'll be back, you know, the next day to pick him up at, you know, early in the morning to make sure you're ready. You know, we're leaving leaving at this time, you know, in the car, and then we see Cliff driving, driving out, you know, down. This is kind of the first time we see, you know, driving through Hollywood Hills, seeing the backdrop of the city as he's driving through, and he kind of pulls into the Van Nuys Drive-In Movie Theater, and you think that he's going to see a movie, but he is not. He's actually going to his little uh, little camper trailer that he lives in which is you know kind of behind the lot where this drive-in movie theater is so he gets there he's he's having having a beer having some uh craft uh, mac and cheese dinner made with uh, water not milk. Feed, feeding his dogs i would like to think that brad pitt probably just eats craft macaroni and cheese because i also love craft macaroni and cheese so yeah but just with water i mean it really yeah, yeah it's mm. fine is it fine okay mm. I mean, I mean, if you if you see his apartment, would you or his uh, his little trailer there? Would you want to have milk that was in in this place? Probably not. Yeah, it's no. not the cleanest place. He definitely, you know, they make a they make a mention that he has watched Rick Dalton's house when Rick's out of town, and he's like, "Oh, I love I love house sitting for you," you know. But um, mm-hmm. you know, and and you're like, "Yeah, man, I'd probably live almost anywhere than in this than in this trailer." But the, the scene's really amazing. So he has this really uh, beautiful looking kind of chocolate pit bull. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Brandy. Named name Brandy, exactly. Yeah. And there's this great scene. It, the mechanics behind it and the physicality is really great where he's opening these cans of dog food and the dog is sitting there waiting and he makes a, you know, he has a basically a conversation with this dog and anybody mm-hmm. that has had a dog in their lives that they love definitely resonated, resonates with this because he's like, don't whine. I'm going to feed you. Like, if you're going to whine, I'm not going to feed you. And I don't want to have to do that. And he's just, the dog is like, got this great expression. It's really cool. It's really mm-hmm. neat. Um, and it's foreshadowing for, you know, the future because he definitely has this great relationship with this, this dog. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Very well trained. But so while he's, you know, hanging out, talking with his dog, you know, Rick's back home, right? He's, he's done with work for the day. He's got his, his uh, German beer stein out. He's ready to make up some whiskey sours. You see him kind of pouring in the ingredients. You see him just crack an egg, like giant over the top of it and just, 
He just sloshes it down into this beer stein. Yeah, he does it in a really cool way. He does it with like one hand and he makes sure that like no yolk gets into it. I don't know how he does that because yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it would taste good with the yolk in it. Um. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So, so he's making up the making up the whiskey sours. You hear the tapes playing of, of kind of these audition tapes where he's you know reading lines to himself back and forth, and then you'll see him just floating in the pool. has the has the beer stein full of whiskey sours. Got the tape player there on the arm of this float that he's in, just reading reading lines. Living his best life, man. <laughs> But it, it does show an interesting flavor of acting that you don't normally see, which is the preparation, right? Like we, uh, as people who watch films, don't see a lot of that prep work. And mm-hmm. um, I thought that was interesting because you can see that he's really trying to take his craft seriously. Um, right. And it, it, you know, it shows later, uh, it's, you know, again, foreshadowing for later scenes, but I thought that was neat. In the meantime, his neighbors, Sharon and mm-hmm. Roman Polanski, they are on their way to the Playboy Mansion for a giant party. Yeah, and you actually, this is probably my favorite shot just of the way that it's filmed because you get the camera, it's on Rick in his pool and the camera just pulls back from the pool over Rick's house, over uh, Roman Plansky's house and down in front of Roman Plansky's house and sees them coming out of the house and getting into their car. It just, it looks amazing. It's, you know, one of those production things that they had to figure out how to, how to do that. And, and that accurately and the timing of all of it, it looks really cool. But then we see Roman doing basically the same drive down out of the hills that we'd seen Cliff do earlier. And yeah, on the way to the Playboy mansion for this uh, very swanky looking party. Yeah, and it's it's neat because th- there's a lot of people who are playing very famous people. If you look, so there, Steve McQueen is there, but you can see um, a lot of people from the '60s. If you look, it's like, oh, that looks like mm. it's it's anyone who you'd think might like be like Robert at, Redford looks like he's at there. the Playboy Mansion is probably in this scene somewhere. Yeah. So if if you paused it and really really looked at it, but yeah, Steve Steve McQueen's there, and it actually tells you who he is because in a very Quentin Tarantino sort of style. It just pops up with his name on the screen. Right. Um, and, and he's played by Damian Lewis, who uh, is probably most well-known for Homeland. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he gives this really cool kind of monologue, right? Where he's sort of by himself, but then he, he's sort of talking to this other person about um, the relationship between Sharon Tate and... Yeah, between Sharon T- Tate and Roman Polanski and Jay Sebring. Jay Sebring, that's right. Um, because Sharon Tate was with Jay Sebring for a long time. They were engaged, and then they broke up immediately uh, when she met Roman Polanski, and then they went and got married. But then they're kind of a, a threesome of friends, so mm-hmm. they've been really inseparable. And it's interesting because then Steve McQueen is saying, you know, she obviously has a type, you want, you know, she likes these short, very intellectual, you know, kind of dark director types. And Steve McQueen's like, I never had a chance. Yeah. <laughs> lamenting, lamenting that in his, in the Playboy Mansion next to, you know, some beautiful girl. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah. So that kind of, that kind of cues us in on who Sharon is. Cause I think up until this point, we didn't really know who she was, who Margot Robbie was playing. I think this is the first time we're actually kind of introduced to so her and who she's playing in the film, but, but yeah, yeah, really cool. The the Playboy Mansion scenes really great. You get a cool uh, following shot of 
Sharon uh, kind of walking through the party. It's just following her as she's dancing, you know, through through the huge mansion and then and then out to out to the back and stuff. So, but they're having they had a good time at the at the party, I I assume. But next morning, you know, Cliff is there, picks up Rick as just as he said he was, and they're going to pull on to onto the set for you know Rick's next uh, acting job. And Cliff's like, hey, is there any is there any work for for me? Can you ask the stunt coordinator, you know, if I can if I can get some work today and Rick's like, yeah, or I'll ask. And then he's like, no, he actually, actually said, you know, he's going with someone else on, on this one. So, uh, but Hey, since you, since you're not coming here to work today, do you mind going to my house and fixing my TV antenna? And Cliff says, says, okay, you know, that's, that's, (laughs) that's what he's there for, I guess. So. Got nothing better to do. All right. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting, very Tarantino-esque a group of scenes here, right? Because you get the feeling that Cliff really wants to work and Rick is mm-hmm. kind of holding back saying, ah, no, it's not. I talked to Randy, the stunt coordinator, and he's, he's, you know, he's busy. He's got, he's got his own man, but thanks. And just, can you go fix my roof? Um, fix my antenna. But he does it. And he goes, when he goes to the roof, um, by the way, Brad Pitt was 54 years old when he did this <laughs> film. I just want to, point that out before I say the next thing, um, which is that he looks freaking amazing. It, it did not look like he was eating a lot of macaroni and cheese. It I did will not. Say. It did not. Not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very hilarious, right? So he, he gets to Rick's house. Well, on the, on the way, we should mention that he uh, drives past the, the hippie girl that was carrying the pickles that we True. had seen earlier. Um, and she, she's hitching a ride. Um, but she's going the opposite direction of of Rick's house, so misconnection there. But yeah, he gets to gets to Rick's house. You see him; he kind of goes into like this little storage shed kind of thing, grabs some tools, grabs a tool belt, you know, sticks a beer down into the uh, tool belt, and then you'll see him. He's a stunt guy, right? So he just kind of you know runs up the wall and jumps up onto the roof. Doesn't need doesn't need a ladder, and he gets up onto the roof, and within about a tenth of a second from being on the roof, he just rips his shirt off. Right, he's he's ready to work, and I guess that. I guess if you're Brad Pitt, that's how you do most of your uh, your household work. I guess. I, don't know. I guess. I mean, and, and I'm not complaining as a as a person with eyeballs. I did not mind. Um, he looked great, but he also, you know, the, the 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 makeup though was really good because he has a lot of scars. You do notice that he's got, mm-hmm. you know, some scars on his back. Apparently, he was a big war hero. They mentioned that a couple of times. So you don't know yep. if this is because there are stunts that if, went horribly if wrong, related, right, or yeah. if it's you know somebody shot him up in a you know in 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 wartime or something, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a really cool kind of back flash scene as he's working away at this antenna, because of course, Rick mentions Randy as the stunt coordinator and Randy Mm -hmm. is, uh, he thinks back to the last time Randy gave him a shot. Uh, Randy is played flawlessly by Kurt Russell, who's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a scene where Rick is icing his face, probably because he's hung over again. And Randy yep. comes in and says, Hey, you know, what are we, what are we going to do about this, this stunt scene? And Rick basically asks him for a personal favor and says, look, can you please give Cliff some, you know, can you give him some work? And he says, look, you know, I don't like him. I don't dig him. My wife doesn't dig him. He <laughs> More importantly, him. my wife doesn't like him. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I can handle that. She, and then he says something very interesting. He's like, he killed his wife. And of course, Rick is like, oh, come on. <laughs> that didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah. 
And then there's another flashback scene of, you know, Cliff being on a, on a boat um, mm-hmm. with some woman who's just yakking at him and bitching yeah. and moaning. And yeah, presu- being, presumably his wife, but yeah, I'm she's guessing it was she, his wife. She's, she's nagging at him and you just see him pick up this uh, harpoon gun, right? thing, And he's just holding it. And then the flashback cuts back. So you don't ever actually see if he killed his wife or not. Um, so you have right. to draw your own own conclusions there. So, but more importantly than Randy, Randy's wife thinks that, you know, he definitely, <laughs> definitely killed his wife and definitely doesn't want to hire him. Um, and then you just see Randy walking out of the trailer saying, all right, you're, you're hired today. So apparently, apparently uh, Rick's wishes uh, got him through there. So, yeah. Yeah. And he says, look, you're going to, you're going to dress for it, but you know, you might not work. And if you don't work, you don't get paid. And he's like, oh man, I appreciate the opportunity. Again, it really speaks to like Cliff's attitude. I can't imagine him killing his wife just for bitching at him because he's so laid back, but maybe it was just the wrong day. You know, I mean, who knows? And so the next scene is probably one of my favorite scenes because there is, um, while they're, they're. All the stunt people are there kind of waiting around for their, for their turn to go. And you see Brad Pitt, he's sitting there and he's in like a, he's in like a tuxedo, hair's perfect. Um, just like, if, think of like Ocean's Eleven, Brad Pitt, yeah. that it, it looks exactly, you know, like that, you know, all decked out, but he's sitting there. And uh, the character who's presumably Bruce Lee is talking a lot of smack about how, you know, how amazing he is and how he shows, you know, it's kind of a racket and stunt, stunt coordinating doesn't get the right attention and it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's just kind of talking a lot of smack and, you know, it, it was well known that Bruce Lee was fairly arrogant. Um, but right. what I will say is the actor who plays Bruce Lee is amazing in the mm-hmm. cadence of his speech. So in, yeah. I, I'm not a huge Bruce Lee fan by any stretch, but I've seen a lot of his stuff and seen a lot of interviews and everything. He sounds amazingly like him. I thought that maybe it was dubbed when I saw this the first time. Yeah, he he carries out his cadence really good. Um, the actor's name is Mike Mo M O H. Um, if you want to you know, look into him anymore, but yeah, really good. And but basically, Cliff is just like you're just being a blowhard because you know Bruce had said that that you know if if he got in the ring with Cassius Clay, you know he'd he'd knock him out you know in no time, wouldn't even lay a finger on him. And Cliff's like, yeah, you're just you know you're talking nonsense. All you guys think you could you could beat someone up, and you just dance around he's like i could i could beat you up and bruce is like well my my fists are lethal weapons so if i knock you out then they arrest me he's like well if you knock anyone out they arrest you it's called manslaughter right he's like if you kill somebody and it's called it's not you're not special just because of your magic hands dude so so basically they get to the point where they've decided that they're going to settle this they're not going not to have a fight to the death. No one needs to commit manslaughter, but they're going to say, you know, whoever can lay on the hit, knock the other one down, you know, two out of three times will be the winner. And then I have a lot of favorite scenes in this film, but then you just see, you see Cliff, Brad Pitt get up and takes off the wig of his perfect Brad Pitt hair. And he has his, you know, kind of longer, a little shaggier, kind of yeah. more unkempt hair under it. And for whatever reason, it just cracked me up. That he was just sitting there in his own hair and and takes it off um but they start the fight and uh bruce lands a uh, pretty good little flying uh, drop kick onto cliff and takes him down first but it does not continue to go nearly as well 
Yeah, yeah. So Cliff gets up from the floor and he says, do that again. And, uh, you know, he should have known. Bruce Lee should have known. Bruce Lee's whole thing was the element of surprise, right? That was that was something that he wrote about in his book. And mm-hmm. he does the exact same thing. And so Cliff just grabs him as he's like flying through the air at, you know, trying to kick him and turns around and he ends up hitting the the door of this very nice blue looking Cadillac. I think it's a Cadillac. I'm not sure. I don't know cars, but mm-hmm. the car is completely messed up. It's dented yeah. all to hell. And, you know, Bruce Lee is like, whoa, he's on the floor. He's like, oh my God. And um, Cliff is just kind of looking like, yeah, uh, like it's no big deal. And then some woman comes out from the back of the of the kind of trailer area and she starts mm-hmm. flipping out and we end up realizing that that is randy's wife and she's yeah. like what the hell are you even doing on this set he's bruce lee is a is an actor like you could have hurt him you could have killed him and then randy shows up kurt russell and he's like janet janet hi and we realize mm-hmm. that's randy's wife and she is just so livid with um with cliff and she's like get your shit and get out you know i think she's mm. she's and of course randy's like you know i think you should get your shit and get off the set <laughs> yeah he, he's he's like i'll handle it and then he just repeats you know what Jane exactly said. what she um, says yeah yeah so that so that was the last time that that cliff had worked so then it kind of flashes back to him up on rick's roof you know finishing fixing the antenna and we see this character coming up the drive was there looking for whoever had owned Roman's house before Roman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's this guy, we don't, we don't learn his name, but if you, if you know the story at all, you know that this is uh, Charles Manson. He comes up and he kind of, he lays eyes on Sharon Tate yeah. there. And, but then he's like, Oh, okay. He doesn't live here anymore. I'll just, I'll leave. And that, that's, that's kind of the only interaction you get, you get with him there. Yeah. in this, I, again, I'm not, I'm not sure who plays uh, this character, this, uh, but, he was amazing because the first time I saw this, I missed that. I totally oh, forgot okay. that that scene even happened. And so when I saw it again, I got chills because I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, because the mannerisms were perfect. Whoever did hair and makeup was, it was amazing because he looks very unassuming. I mean, he's, he looks very hippie-ish, right? But he's, mm-hmm. and he's got the, the facial expressions are just amazing but haunting, like, you know, and, and Sharon Tate's, you know, character, Margot Robbie, she, she does a really good job of being quietly like unsettled by when he shows mm-hmm. up and he just says, Hey, I'm looking for um, the Langs or, and they're like, Oh no, they don't live here anymore. And he says, Oh, that's perfect. That's fine. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. So, so the uh, actor who plays uh, Charlie, there is uh, an actor by the name of Damon Harriman um, who also plays Charles Manson in Mindhunter on yes. Netflix. So yes. if you've ever watched that, you'll um, it's the, it's the it's the same guy, and he definitely he definitely looks the part. He just ever everyone who played one of these historical characters did such an amazing job of sort of nailing the the intricacies and the and the ticks of them. Like it it looks like it would have been you know Charlie Manson right there. So yeah, yeah. And so we're back on the set with Rick. Rick is, uh, you know, he's icing his face again because he's mm-hmm. hungover again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a director comes in uh, and is talking to him about, you know, hey, we think we want to do this to your face. We want to give you a big mustache and we want to grow your hair out. There's a woman 
that director introduces him to uh, mm-hmm. that's the costume mistress and yep. I love this scene because once again it's all Tarantino kind of dialogue right and he's like mm-hmm. hey I want to put I want to put him in a jacket or something that he could go to a club in and this is like a western right <laughs> that he's mm-hmm. yep. and so she's like oh I got a great idea man I got this jacket we'll dye it brown it'll be awesome he could go clubbing in it tonight and it's mm-hmm. just hilarious i think it's so it's one of the funniest scenes because yeah and, uh, and rick dalton's just like well yeah, no, yeah, no one's gonna know it's me under here <laughs> yeah rick rick's hung over we've already found from you know the night before that he doesn't particularly care for hippies and now this this very eccentric movie director is coming in telling you know that he's basically going to dress him up you know just like a like a western hippie i guess and and <laughs> and go but you know, so so Rick, you know, he's walking out on the set. It's about time for him to start shooting, kind of licking his wounds. He's not happy about the uh, the direction that this picture is taken. I don't think he's he has like a coffee cup that he just throws in the, in the middle of the set. He's taking a drink from the flask, but there's a little girl back on set, kind of sitting in this rocking chair sort of thing on the porch of you know this saloon set, just sitting there reading a book. And you know, Rick sees her and he asks if he can go and you know, sit by her and, and read his book too. And she said, all right, well, if you don't bother me. <laughs> and then, uh, so he goes back and, and sits with her and kind of hacks up a lung, starts coughing and, <laughs> and going all out and being as annoying as can be. But um, <laughs> he eventually, eventually does start, start uh, reading his book and they're uh, talking about acting and she's great. Uh, Trudy, uh, who's played by Julia Butters. Um, she's fantastic, right? She's you know, he's asking her about, you know, when did, when did she become an actress? And she's like, I'm not an actress. I'm an actor because calling me an actress is derogatory. And, right. You know, she's, she's just really giving it to him, which, which is fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. And she, she asked him to describe this book that he's reading. He's reading this Western. Um, and he's like, oh, it's about this guy. And he's, you know, he was a, a bull writer, I think. Yeah, and I don't, yeah, I don't remember exactly. I'm not exactly sure what his what vocation was, but he was amazing at it uh, at the time, right? He was amazing mm-hmm. at it when he was in his 20s and now he's almost 40 and he's not so great. And as he's talking about it, he's realizing that it's exactly how he feels about himself. And so he starts to get very emotional as Rick does. And I mean, he starts to like cry and he's coughing and hacking and she, you know, Trudy is like, are you okay? And she kind of gets off of her director's chair and kind of comes to, to put her hand on his leg and is like, are you all right? Are you going to be okay? And, and he's like, oh, it's, it's all right. Pumpkin puss. I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm going to be all right. You know, thanks for listening. And then she gets real, (laughs) real offended because he called her pumpkin puss. And she's like, I hate it when people do that. And we'll talk about that another time because you're upset. And then she just kind of walks off. Yeah. She tells him, I'll let it slide because you're upset, but don't like that but yeah she don't call she, me pumpkin puss she she's completely great like i said and, you know you know gives a gives a right to him which is fantastic yeah yeah but we're we kind of cut away from you know rick there on set and check in with sharon we see her driving um through the te- through the city you know another one of these great you know driving montages where you're seeing the city is the background she stops and picks up a hitchhiker um she you know, kind of pulls into the slot and you see the big, you know, Fox Studios building where she's pulled into um, and she's out walking, you know, down the strip and she sees the cinema and it has the movie marquee um, and her name's on it because it's the the movie that she's starring in that's 
uh, just come out. So, you know, she's, you know, she's taken that in, she goes up, looks at the, looks at the poster, but carries on. She ends up going to this bookstore to pick up some books for Roman, but she's not going to be able to resist the, the urge to go see her movie after she picks up these books. Yeah. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting scene though. She, and I don't know why she does it. She goes to the front to buy a ticket and uh, tickets are 75 whole cents uh, mm-hmm. at this movie theater. Yeah. Um, but she does ask if she could see it for free because she's in it. And yeah. I don't really understand why, because she definitely, you know, has the money. Uh, she to, to she could swing the 75. She probably bought like $5,000 worth of first run books for right. Roman at this bookstore. But yeah, but yeah, she asked, you know, do I have to pay if I'm in the movie? And it's kind of funny because the you know girl working at the ticket counter is like, you are in the movie? Wait, you sure? Are you are you this girl? Oh no, you're not this girl. No, the girl in the movie was from this thing, and you know, I had, and then she eventually calls calls back to the uh, kind of the usher or manager or whoever, and he comes out and it's like, hey, this is the girl in the movie, and he's like, this girl? Oh no! And then so they end up getting you know a picture of her and in, in front of the sign, but they do let her in for free, which is which is nice, I guess. Yeah. So she goes and she, she sits in, uh, in the theater and she's kind of halfway through the back. And then she puts on these gargantuan glasses. So she oh, yeah. can see because yeah, apparently were... <laughs> she couldn't see before. Yeah. Her, uh, her glasses are the craziest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. They were, <laughs> they're like, they're like two like front door windows, like stuff on, <laughs> on the front of her head. Like, like it's insane, but she's, she's wearing them. She's, she's loving the movie. And then if you've forgotten, you know, in the first hour of the movie that this is a Quentin Tarantino film, we're going to watch the rest of her film kind of at this, at this angle behind her. So her feet are in frame the whole time because she's time. decided she's decided to take off her boots as one does and just has and just has her uh, bare feet just just up on the uh, back of this chair. So, so and they're really dirty. Like I'm not a I'm not a foot prissy person by any stretch. Right. But her feet are real dirty. I thought that was it's, weird. It's it's pretty well known that Quentin is, and I guess if that's how how we wanted him, I guess on the shot. So great, <laughs> yeah. So All right. well, that's yeah. yeah so, so you see like cuts of the film. So she plays kind of this klutzy girl in the show, mm-hmm. and um, it's neat because as an actor, she's kind of getting she's getting off on the audience laughing when she when they're supposed to laugh, mm-hmm. and sure, and it's kind of spliced in with her having kind of these um practice scenes with bruce lee right who is helping her um in some of the action sequences when she's trying to you know in a fight scene where she's doing some combat and stuff Mm -hmm. so that that's kind of neat but interspliced with you know her watching this show we go back to rick who is you know starring uh he's guesting on this show this western show and he's covered in this Mm -hmm. book and he is um opposite to Timothy Oliphant, who is yeah. amazing in everything that he does that is, yeah. we- and everything he does seems to be a, a Western. A Western, yeah. <laughs> or, a, yeah. you know, a, a Western allegory of some kind. Um, yeah, and so he's, they're- he's playing uh, James Stacy in the film. So the opposite Rick there. And this film looks amazing. So they end up kind of going into the saloon. Um, you know, there's cigarettes burning on the, on the bar. It's smoky in there. Um, the lighting's great. You see Rick kind of up like this big, you know, lengthy, like three floor high uh, staircase. So you see him kind of off in the distance. <laughs> it, look, it looks 
very great for a you know fictional little bit of a film but in the scene they end up getting a bottle of tequila and setting it at this table and rick's kind of going you know on this little monologue and they start going back and forth and rick loses his line right uh not not a big deal he calls out for his line so he gets it and kind of you know psychs himself up a little bit and they get back into it and just you know about two or three lines later he he loses it again and that's there's there's no coming back from it this time so yeah yeah and in these if you've ever watched or or it's kind of the way like the a scene work out I guess that's what they're called where you actually are looking at people working on a scene um Mm -hmm. and you can film kind of what's they're filming but it's in a different way it's kind of I, right. I think they're called, I think they're called workouts. Anyway, it's interesting to see how uh, the style of actors and how they work together. One of my favorite ones I ever saw was actually um, Forrest Gump and the workout between Robin Wright Penn and Tom Hanks it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting because he's losing his lines and he's getting frustrated. And, you know, Timothy Oliphant's character uh, is like, it's cool. Calm down. Like I'll, I'll get it back. And, and he just, you know, but Rick can't get, it back like he he just gets more and more upset and it's taking away from you know he's supposed to be angry in this scene and he's supposed to be kind of this have this menacing um way that he's speaking but now he's just pissed off that he can't remember any of the lines and so they cut you know they take they take some time and he goes back to uh his trailer and he has this really you know really violent outburst looking at himself in a mirror and he's like i couldn't just have three whiskey sours or four i had to eight i had to eight whiskey sours yeah. and he's like you get your shit together dude he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's like if you don't you don't get your shit together i'm gonna take you home and i'm gonna blow your brains out i swear to god and it's mm-hmm. um yeah, he's Hard having, having a little, a little bit of a, <laughs> little bit of a breakdown. He's, he's kind of trashing stuff in his trailer, right? And yeah, he's, yeah, losing it. He's, he's upset with himself. He, I think he, he ends up kind of falling back onto the couch, and he's like, "Now everyone thinks that you can't act. You don't know what you're doing. Doing, you know, not prepared. You didn't come prepared. How could you? And you did prepare. You prepared, and you drank too much. You're an alcoholic. I mean, he just goes from like, I forgot three lines to my world is over. It's, <laughs> like, it's over." Yeah, he, he kind of get, gets it back together and, and goes back out of the trailer. But we're going to go finish up the movie with Sharon. So she's she's there and kind of at the big, you know, sort of finale of, of her film. She has a fight scene in the movie with this uh, other actress. And it kind of splices between her watching it on the film and her practicing the fight moves with Bruce Lee. Kind of at this you know, poolside little garden thing there they're practicing in you know it looks pretty cool it's just kind of going back and forth between the movie and you know she's doing the the same moves in it so uh so pretty cool so she finishes the movie everyone seemed to like it she's on she's on cloud nine everyone's uh loving her film so she's pretty happy about that yep yep and then uh cliff is driving on his way uh he's finished uh fixing the antenna on top of rick's house and mm-hmm. so he is uh driving back i guess uh to pick up i don't yeah, know probably, he, I guess probably he's, head probably heading back to set i guess i don't know what else you're gonna do so yeah but he um he's driving and he sees uh he sees that hippie girl again uh mm-hmm. without any pickle jars there's no pickle jar with her but um you know she's really interesting she's got a very interesting look about her she keeps biting her lips and like licking her lips and it's not it's not overtly sexual but it's very 
distracting. That's the word. Anyway, so mm-hmm. he, he, she, he finally kind of, you know, he asks, he asks her again, which way she's going and she's going in the direction that he's going. And so he finally uh, says, well, come on in, you get in the car. And um, she's on her way to Chatsworth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, she says that she's uh, on her way to Chatsworth. And apparently that's, it sounds like that's kind of far outside of the city, right. As to where normal people would be going to pick up a hitchhiker and take, take her all the way out there. And he's like, I, I could do that. He, he didn't have anything else to do, right? He'd fix the antenna. So he's, he's just waiting for Rick to get done at work. So he's got, he's got nothing but time. He's been, you know, eyeing this girl now for uh, through the film. So um, she tells him that, you know, she lives with some friends up at the movie ranch and that, you know, sets off some alarm bells for Cliff. He's like spawn movie ranch. It's like, I used to, used to work up there. Um, Cause when we get there, we find out it's like a, like an old, you know, spaghetti Western kind of set you know, up in the, mm-hmm. up in the hills there. So, so he's going to offer to take her up there. He wants to, wants to get out there and uh, see it again for himself. Sure. And they have a really interesting conversation. She's in the car and she kind of lays down on his lap and she's like, Hey, uh, you want me to go down on you while you're driving? And, mm-hmm. you know, God bless Cliff <laughs> because he turns around and he's like, um, how old are you? <laughs> and she's like, oh, come on. And he's like, nah, yeah, I, I, I mean, do you have ID showing how old you are? And she's like, I don't need that. And he's like, right. Cause you don't have it because you're not 18. Like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm. And then he's like, look, I might go to jail for something, but I'm not going to go to jail for this. This is, this is not happening. Yeah. Um, but he's cool about it. Like he's not, you know, he doesn't like call her out on it or you know, make, make a big deal, but he's just like, yeah, no, I'm not, no. not going to do this. Let's I'll drive, I'll drive you out there. And, and that'll be, that'll, and that'll be, uh, be that. that'll be it. So. And she's all excited because she's like, Oh, there's somebody I really want you to meet. That's there. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of interesting. And so that's where the scene kind of cuts out and we go back to Rick, who's finished having his complete tantrum uh, mm-hmm. in his, in, <laughs> in his trailer and he's back on set and he's got this scene with uh, Trudy and I guess she's forgiven him or at least she looks like she has because they, they have to do the scene together. Um, he does not call her pumpkin puss ever again. No. Um, and uh, he says his lines. He remembers all of them. He gives this really kind of great performance. And then, he, you know, he she's he's kidnapped her. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, it ends with him kind of, you know, throwing her down on onto the floor. Yeah. Right. Um but, you know, it turns out that that was kind of an impromptu sort of a thing. The director comes up, tells him how great it was. And, and Rick asks Trudy, he's like, I didn't throw you too hard, did I? And, you know, she, she's pretty cool. She's like, nope, got pads on my, my elbows and my knees. So I'm, I'm good, to, good to go. Good to go. And, then, and then she tells him, she says, that was the best acting. I've right? ever seen. So, yeah, yeah, I've ever seen. So, so she gives him a compliment. So, you know, Sharon's in a good mood now. Everyone liked her movie. Rick's in a good mood. He... He got over his eight whiskey sours and and delivered some some good acting that everyone could be proud of. Yeah. And I don't I don't know if I don't know if Cliff's proud or not, but he they pull they pull into the into the abandoned uh, movie ranch. Right, and it looks real. It looks real bad. Um, there's a scene of a of a it it looks like an old house, and we see I guess what's supposed to be inside the house, and there's a lot of girls kind of laying on couches looking at this old black and white TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're talking to this person whose face you can't see, but you can see her feet kind of on. Um, she's propped up and she's kind of in a uh, like a lazy boy chair. And they're like, hey, someone's here. And she says, uh, keep an eye, keep an eye out on them. And 
and you're like, mm-hmm. what is, what is this? You know, it's, it, it is uh, an abandoned movie set, but it's got tons of people and you realize that it's become kind of this hippie commune. There's a bunch of people just kind of that are living in these old sets as if they were actual real houses. And, mm-hmm. um, right. you know, they get out of the car and the pickle jar girl whose name is Pussycat, that's her mm-hmm. name. Yep. Uh, she asks this other girl who's played by Lena Dunham. Yeah, Lena Dunham plays Gypsy. Lena Dunham, yep. And so she asks Gypsy, she says, hey, where is Charlie? Where's everybody? And she's like, oh, Charlie left with a bunch of people. And now you realize if you understand kind of the what's historically happened is that mm-hmm. Charles Manson had this giant commune in the hills of Hollywood. And yep. um you know, that this is supposed to be it. And, you know, Cliff has inadvertently walked in on this whole big thing and it could go very, very wrong very quickly. And so, you know, Charlie's not there, um, but there's this other very pregnant woman who's who's like, hey, you know, uh, what are you doing here? Who are you? We should go tell this gentleman named, this guy named Tex. Uh, mm-hmm. We should have him come check you out. And Cliff is like, oh, okay. And I guess this commune makes a little bit of money by selling writing lessons or having writing trails doing these horse horse riding tours yeah up through the up through the hills but but cliff knows that this uh, gentleman by the name of george who is this movie director i guess had sort of owned this lot he knew that he lived there in that you know kind of dilapidated looking house and cliff didn't think that george was the sort of person that would just let a commune of hippies just live on his property so he needs to go uh, go check in on George. And you see kind of all of the hippies just sort of gathering around him. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, Cliff, this seems like a bad idea to be going into this house by yourself. Yep. And you have, you know, just, you know, 20 kind of of these, you know, drifters standing around, you know, watching you, watching every move that you make. But, right. but Cliff's unfazed by it, right? He He gets up to the house and he demands to go in and check on George and uh, the girl there. He's napping. They're like, I mean, outside, they're like, he's napping. It's his nap time. And he's like, I'm going to go wake him up. And you're right. The whole time I'm like, this is a bad idea. Bad idea, yeah. Cliff. Bad idea. We're going to watch Cliff die in the next five minutes. <laughs> like not a good idea, right? Yeah. So so you're watching this, right? And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, so he's going to go in and George is going to be dead. And then Cliff is going to be dead. And that's going to be the end of Cliff's part of the story. But, you know, they tell him, you know, George is in the back. He's napping. You know, we watch TV tonight. So he needs to get an extra nap in during the day. He doesn't like to be woken up. Um, but Cliff it, goes to goes to check on him. And that is exactly the case. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's played by Bruce Dern. Bruce Dern plays George, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and he's like, yeah, why'd you wake me up? You know, squeaky. He keeps calling the 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 girl who's been who was sitting in the lazy boy, who's kind of the semi leader of this group. Um, mm-hmm. She's actually squeaky, which is a famous character or famous person, infamous person within the Charlie Manson uh, cult. Um mm-hmm. And he's like, Squeaky's going to be so mad. I, you know, I, I, I don't like to disappoint her. I like to stay up and watch these shows. And he's like, but you're blind because he mentions that he can't see. Mm-hmm. He's like, but she loves me. And, and George is, uh, you know, Cliff is like, well, George, are you sure you're okay with all these people living here? And he's like, yeah, man, I'm fine. I'm fine. And yeah. Cliff is like, well, okay, then. <laughs> so- yeah. He- 
yeah, I feel I feel like Cliff went above and beyond his uh, his due diligence there. So uh, checked on George. George seemed to be okay with the uh, the situation that uh, he and Squeaky had going, and everyone else living there. So time for Cliff to leave. So he gets out, but you know, one of these guys had slashed his tire, and he sees the guy who had slashed his tire, <laughs> looks at him, and says, "Did you do this?" and the guy, you know, is high as a kite. And so of course, you know, he's, he says yes and starts, starts laughing. Right. So Cliff goes over and lays him out and then lays him out again. And again, tells him to fix the tire. Yep. So, so he goes into the back of the car. He's like, this is not even my car. Right. So he gets the Jack and he gets the, uh, the spare and he's like, spare, you're going to yeah. fix it. And meanwhile, all these girls are like watching him and, uh, you know, as he was walking from the house to the car, I mean, that's a, it's a long road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're yeah, all it's, like, it's get out of here. It's this whole movie set, right? So right. It's, yeah. it's, it's as if you were in, in, in Deadwood or <laughs> the yeah. OK Corral, like in Tombstone, you're walking down Main Street. Um, mm-hmm. And they're all kind of saying, get out of here. You know, you know, you're the blind one, you know, George isn't blind. Like we all, we're all here and it's fine. And meanwhile, uh, one of the girls gets on a horse and goes and finds Tex who was, you know, who'd come to check him out, uh, and then left to go finish, uh, giving these tourists a tour in the Hills with a horse. And he runs, you know, he rushes back down. Um, and you think that again, it's, it's, it might be the end of cliff because (laughs) this guy is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, make sure he doesn't leave. And, uh, yeah. but he misses him. Cliff gets out just in the nick of time. And, uh, it's definitely, uh, yeah, you, you see him driving down, down the road. So he, he made it out of there. <laughs> that part of, part of the film didn't look, didn't look good for Cliff, but he, he does end up making it out. So you get a little montage. You see Sharon walking out of the, out of the movie theater, time to go home. You see Cliff picking up Rick and, you know, getting him in the car, time for them to go home. And, when they get to Rick's house, Rick asks Cliff, you know, what are you, what are you doing? Did you want to come in and watch FBI? You know, it's one of these, one of these other kind of cameo appearances that, yeah. that Rick has. And, and Cliff's like, oh yeah, why do you think I brought beer and could order yeah. a pizza? So, so they went in, you know, watching FBI, you know, see Rick's cameo, really loved it. Uh, but Mr. Schwartz is sitting there watching it too. And he seems less than impressed with more of these cameos. So, yeah. Yeah, they kind of brings up the idea again that, you know, Schwartz is saying, go be in some spaghetti westerns, go to Italy for a couple of months. And so he does. Rick goes to Italy. Yeah, he spends spend six months there. He does four films. <laughs> um, I think I think I think that he said they said that he loved uh, working in Italy, but he or no, he loved living in Italy, but he hated working in Italy. Right. Um, so he wasn't happy with the way the directors worked and probably his own workload, but it said that, you know, at the end of the six months, he'd uh, made a lot of money and he'd put on 15 pounds uh, and he, and he had a wife now. This, and he had uh, a wife. This uh, Italian girl that he'd met there. So Right. Who, one I of his, one of his co-stars. He, yeah. And I don't think we ever hear her speak English. She speaks Italian no, the entire just, time. I mean, she's yep. gorgeous. So I don't know if it really matters um, to him if she speaks English or not, but She's uh she's quite she's quite Italian. And so they are on the plane coming back and he's next to her and she's kind of all done up and uh, got her mask on to sleep. And then, you know, because he's in first class drinking whiskey sours, of course, and uh, in the back oh, and coach. And, yeah, Cliff's in the back and coach with his 
with his Bloody Mary. So. Yep. Cliff, yep. Cliff can't even. So Cliff went with him the, the whole six months. He. Yep. He went, and I don't. I don't know if uh, he got to be a stuntman or if he was just more of a, you know, running his errands and and keeping yeah. up on him. But he got to, got to go, but couldn't even splurge for the first class ticket for Cliff coming back. So. Yeah. Well, and it it does do a flashback where he says, "Look, you know, Rick." Uh, and Cliff have this kind of conversation and Rick says, you know, um, I did, I did well enough in the four films, but I, I, I just, I don't think I can keep you on the payroll. Right. And um, it's very hard mm-hmm. because Cliff is like, Oh man. Okay. That's fine. Like he doesn't get upset. He's not angry. He's, he's just like, okay. And so, yep. you know, they all know that at the end of this big long plane ride, you know, they're going to get together for, for one last big drunken, Yep. Drunken debauchery <laughs> uh, filled night. Right. So they're going to going to have one one kind of last bender before they have to kind of go their separate ways. Right. Here, right. As their right. as their golden age in Hollywood has has come to an end. So. Yeah. Uh, so they end up going to a Mexican restaurant, you know, to have some margaritas, as one does. Um, Sharon Tate is also going to a Mexican restaurant, different Mexican restaurant, but uh, you'll see her and uh, three of her friends at a Mexican restaurant having some margaritas. You see uh, Rick and Cliff there having some uh, margaritas. And you have a really amazing scene as they're going as um, I think Sharon and her group gets to the Mexican restaurant. And then you see just all of these neon signs lighting up around the city. So there's yeah. probably like 20 of these these huge, like actual sized neon signs uh, lighting up. And it, it, it just looks incredible. So. It does. It does. I, again, uh, when you talk about the set production, I don't know how they did that because nowadays they don't turn on the same way because mm-hmm. <laughs> of how electricity yep. works. Right? Um, right. But it is six months later and Sharon is married um, and pregnant, um, mm-hmm. is yep. very pregnant. And she has her friends. So Jay Sebring is with her and two other friends. Um, Roman Polanski is not, he's filming. And so um, mm-hmm. if you know anything about, the reality and the history of, of, of around this time, because it's in October of 1969, I believe, um, you know, you, you, you kind of start to feel like this, this is not going to end well. And so it's interesting, Sharon and, and her crew get home, uh, Cliff and Rick get home. They both uh, have had some drinks. Sharon did not, obviously, because she was pregnant and she's being very good. But she, uh, mm-hmm. it does, it does note that she was kind of feeling a little, little sad, right? She's got a little melancholy due to her pregnancy, yep. maybe right. some prepartum uh, feelings going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Cliff uh, comes home and he's like, "We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna commence with the debauchery and the drunkenness as soon as I walk uh, Brandy, because Brandy the dog is there, and uh, he." Yep. Uh, He's, he hasn't fed her yet. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a walk with her first. And he goes in to grab a cigarette and he realizes that there's a cigarette that he had bought from one of the hippies, you know, over six months ago. And it was like dipped in acid. And he thinks, this is a great idea. Let me do this as I go on my walk. Let's it's their last night, you know, uh, blowout. Right. So he's going on a walk once a cigarette. So might as well do the acid one. You know, he's at his friend's house. No big deal. So going to take Brandy out for a walk. Brandy was nice enough to stay there and guard the uh, new Italian wife while they were out at the Mexican restaurant. So, right. um, but yeah, uh, takes her out for the walk, takes a cigarette. Um, you see Rick making this, uh, another giant pitcher of margaritas. Uh, but then this, this, this car pulls up and it's, you know, just sitting kind of out on this like cul-de-sac that, that Rick's house is in. And it's just sitting there kind of idling, you know, 
pretty loud mufflers mufflers shot on this thing it's, this is not the kind of car that you would see up in the hollywood hills you know coming into one of these houses uh right. so rick rick's in his uh i believe like this old sort of dingy-ish bathrobe carrying the whole pitcher of margaritas and just goes out and starts yelling at these uh kids in this car yeah yeah he's just he gets up in the face of the driver and he's like you know you fucking hippies i'm so sick of you you know get off my street mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he kind of looks like uh his character from the revenant like his he just doesn't look very good he's like <laughs> yeah he, he looks he looks very disheveled actually um so we were watching this my my wife is like is that jack black i'm like no it's still leonardo dicaprio uh, <laughs> yep. because he's he's wearing this he's wearing this robe he's very unkempt and he has those 15 <laughs> he has those 15 pounds that he put on in italy right so and they're all <laughs> sitting around his face like he's got this there, yeah. big kind of facey neck thing yeah um, but yeah so he's yelling at these at these kids and we know as the audience, anyone who knows what's happening in the story knows who these kids are and why they're there for. But but he goes out and yells at them. And they do eventually, they, they turn the car around and they go down the hill and park. Right. But then we find out, you know, with the people in the car that, that they're there, Charlie sent them to go to, to Roman's house. Right. So to, like, and to kill everyone there. That's what, that's what they're there for. Yeah. So they're, they're going to go and uh, into Sharon Tate's house and they're they're gonna they're gonna kill whoever's there and so uh it's Tex uh who's the man from the hippie scene uh Mm -hmm. commune and then three three of his fellow um three three other girls and again they're they're like you know one of them seems not super into the idea of killing everybody um You know, the other two are like, yeah, let's do it. And one of them's especially high or, or just manic on, you know, killing. She's yeah. like making pig noises and shit. Um, right. yep. It's really, it's really quite terrifying. And so, you know, Rick goes back, you know, he doesn't think anything of it as, as they leave and, you know, Sharon and her team, you know, her crew kind of all get home and they're relaxing inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Cliff comes back. Uh, from walking brandy and he goes into rick's house and he's high as a freaking kite because he has done the you know he smoked the entire acid dipped (laughs) cigarette and so he's like waving his hand in front of his face he's like this is weird and um but it's it's um you know it's time to feed brandy um rick has decided to go sit in the pool and listen to his um yeah has some headphones on with his uh with those tapes there so yeah and uh and so cliff decides it's it's time to uh feed feed the dog so he's starting to do the same thing that we had seen before he has like two cans of dog food and then he's gonna pour the dry food over the canned dog food and then he makes Mm -hmm. this little sound and brandy comes over to eat but then he just kind of stops and he realizes that there there are people in the house now um yeah and uh, this is kind of where the uh the revisionist history starts to come in right so we see the kids when they're down in the car and they're like, Hey, that guy that came out to yell at us, that was Rick Dalton or she, that was Jake Cahill from Bounty Law. We're like Jake, Jake Cahill. Who's that? Oh, it's Rick Dalton. You don't know who Rick Dalton is. Um, so instead of going to Sharon Tate's house, they go into, into Rick's house. But yeah, Rick, Rick's uh, drunk on margaritas, has his headphones on. Um, Cliff's, you know, paying attention to the, to the dog. The uh, new Italian wife is asleep because she's so jet lagged. So. Yeah, and it's interesting because the 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 foursome 
uh, the Manson kids, right? They walk up the hill and one of mm. the girls, the girl who was like kind of hesitant at the beginning, she's like, oh, I forgot. I forgot my knife. Because <laughs> they all yep. have like knives. One of them has a gun. And they're like, we're going to go kill the people who made us. So we're going to go kill this movie star, right? Rick yep. Dalton. And she says, oh, I forgot my knife. I'll be right back. And and they're like, okay. And so she just gets in the car and just tails it, right? She just hightails it out of there. And yeah. they're like, what are we going to do? She's left with the car. And they've got this great idea that they'll just hitchhike home, not thinking that they would be completely covered in blood if they like, you yeah. know, stabbed a bunch of people to death or whatever. I mean, obviously not, not in their right mind. So um, they're like, well, you know, two in the, two, two are going to go through the front and one person's going to go find the, you know, getting, getting to Rick Dalton's house from the back. From the back. Yep. And so that's what happens. Uh, so Cliff is like uh, almost finished making dinner for his dog. And he realizes that there are two people in his, in the house. And he's like, Hey, guy, Hey, what, what are you doing here? And he's super calm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's high. Right. He's like, Hey, he's you're, real you're hippie kids. Why, why are you here? And then he recognizes him. He's like, Oh, you're the spawn ranch kids. Your name was something stupid. Right. <laughs> and the one girl calls him Tex, and he's like, Tex, that was it. So. Yeah, so he's there, and you'll see because he was making Brandy's food, and he had Brandy sitting on the couch the same way that he did in his trailer at the beginning of the film. You know, she was sitting on this chair, um, you know, just just sitting there, not moving, you know, waiting to be fed. And you'll kind of see as soon as as soon as Cliff realizes who these kids are, he kind of gives Brandy this little uh, hand signal. It's like you know, <laughs> telling her telling her to be telling her to be cool. He's going to try to kind of diffuse the situation, but yeah. Uh, but I, these are these are the uh, the Manson kids. So as you might imagine, the the situation does not get de-escalated. It in fact gets escalated um, explosively. And, so yeah, and uh, so yeah, so Cliff turns Brandy loose on on to Tex, you know, who had pulled the gun out and. Brandy's going to do her best to take care of Tex. Uh, Cliff is going to do certain his parts of his body. She his destroys. his his best to uh, take care of uh, one of the other girls. Um, you know, it, again, if you forgot, this was a Quentin Tarantino film. It's uh, going to be just over the top, gratuitous violence here for the next, you know, ten minutes or so of <laughs> of uh, Brandy going to town on this guy. You know, uh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he. Yeah, so Cliff throws a can of the dog food right in one of the girl's faces. Um, so she's got like a broken nose. She ends up falling on the floor. There's lots of blood. The dog pretty much eats both, <laughs> both mm -hmm. of them. Um, you know, the other one. The, yeah, the other. Know. Yeah, the other one. She ends up like going through a window, but she ends up out back uh, with with uh rick in the pool she gets in the pool and and rick's like <laughs> you know he's 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 drunk he has his headphones on and he he knocks the uh, knocks his uh tape deck into the end of the pool and he's getting out he's like what's going on the girl pulls a knife on him it's just completely you know she she's out of her mind on high on whatever but but Rick's a man with a plan. So if you remember how he took care of the Nazis in his uh, first film, that's how he's going to take care of this girl. So he just, you know, casually just goes into the garage and grabs this flamethrower. And uh, that's how uh, we dispatch of attacker number three. Yeah, it shouldn't be funny, um, but it's pretty damn funny when, because <laughs> Rick is in the pool completely oblivious to like mm -hmm. the death of these other two people and the screams that must be ensuing right like right. his wife is in there she's finally woken up and she's freaking out everybody's screaming and he's like 
<laughs> quietly in his pool with his headphones on. And then this thing comes, this person comes running through the window, crashes through the window, ends up in the pool. And he's like, what the hell? And then, yeah, he burns her to a crisp. It's, um, yeah. it's very violent, but I have to say it's, it's kind of satisfying to watch. It's, um, yeah, it's very Quentin Tarantino-esque, right? Where it, the violence is, is gratuitous and gory, but it's almost like so over the top. And, and slightly comical the way that he presents it, that it makes it like, like under normal circumstances, like it would be hard to watch that sort of, sort of thing. Oh, sure. but, yeah, yeah. but just I, for some reason he's able to pull it off. Right. And you know, it's, it's yeah. just a telltale of one of his, one of his films. So. Yeah. Very much like in Kill Bill when you just, you know, that one scene in the first one where there's just blood everywhere and it's very, <laughs> about 5,000 gallons of blood. Yeah, just spewing from orifices and death and this this was this was no less violent um and but it was but it's well done. I like it. I liked it. It was it was a seriously pretty funny. Um yeah. and then so of course they call the cops because that's what you do. They call and the cops. uh Cliff didn't, didn't escape completely unharmed. You know, he he took care of the the kids in the house, but um he did end up falling on on one of the knives as he was you know, trying to fight off the, the girl, I believe. So uh, call the cops, have an ambulance come in for Cliff and they're kind of packing him up into the ambulance, right? He's on the, on the little stretcher thing there. They're rolling him in and, you know, Rick yeah. goes out and he's like, he's like, tell me what hospital you're taking him to. I want to go with him to the hospital. And Cliff's like, no, man, don't, don't go to the hospital. That's boring. Stay here with your Italian wife, you know, <laughs> <laughs> decompress decompress from this night you don't need to don't need to come to the hospital and you know you could tell that rick was you know genuinely wanted to go with him which is a little bit not not necessarily a turn but kind of the whole the whole movie like cliff is kind of at his beck and call but but at this point you see that rick really you know really did care and was concerned about mm-hmm. about cliff in this moment and that's and that's what he what he says as they kind of are closing the door onto the the ambulance. He, it, Rick just says, "You're a good friend, Cliff." Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 a good scene, and they take Cliff off, uh, and he's probably going to be fine. You don't think that anything really um, bad's going to happen. We you get good feelings mm-hmm. about that he's gonna he's gonna pull out of this okay. Um, yep. In the meantime, Rick kind of sees that Jay is next door. Uh, right at the gate and uh, he says hey man what's uh, is everything going on are you guys okay and mm-hmm. um, and so Rick gets to tell them all about you know yeah some hippies came into the house and you know they tried to kill us all and and he says well is everyone all right and he says well the hippies aren't everybody but the hippies are uh, are fine the hippies are not okay and, yeah he's uh, like he's like my my buddy took two of them out and I killed I killed the third one with the flamethrower <laughs> or something right it's right. completely completely ridiculous but you completely. know jay's like jay's like oh man that's so crazy and then you hear um sharon come over the kind of the speaker there at the at the gate and yeah he's like hey who is this what's going on down there and and that was the first time that they'd actually spoken so rick's talking to her through this um little uh, uh intercom intercom system there at the gate and she's like oh that sounds crazy do you want to come up and have a drink and and meet my friends so you'll see Rick walk up to the house and you know she's out there with her other friends and you know, everyone's kind of having a drink and it just kind of pulls up uh the camera angle does on them and you just see them standing outside in the in the driveway 
and that's how the the film ends took care of those kids they're up uh, finally meeting for the first time and then you get the the nice script uh, once upon a time dot 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 in hollywood um yeah. so the the uh, fairy tale has come to a close yeah yeah and then there's a great cigarette ad in the credits yeah so so you want to you want to definitely stick around for the credits because it's it's actually it's not even very long into the credits but you'll see you'll see rick in this black and white advertisement smoking a cigarette and talking about how great it is you know he's, he's doing this pitch for the cigarette and then um you hear the director yell cut and he immediately just throws the cigarette down onto the ground he's like that thing's terrible he's like why would anyone ever smoke these and there's like a cardboard cut out of him and he's like he's like who approved this i have a double chin don't you people look at any of this stuff and he knock, knocks down the cardboard cut out of him it's completely fantastic so i don't i don't know if that was intended as a, a like a like a b-roll thing for that or if it was just cut from elsewhere in the movie and it was just too good to not include somewhere so right yeah no that's great that was great but yes that that ends the uh last of the tarantino's films for a little while anyway yeah at least in at least until the the last one that was number nine right of, yep of his yep. So, so yeah so that was that was the last one michaela what what did you think about this one now you you definitely watched it last year because you watch all of the oscar films that even though this one didn't didn't win you would have definitely watched it for that so um so this was probably the second time you watched it what did you think yes. on, a, on a second viewing you know i liked it even better the first time I saw it, I was I was very concerned, uh, to be honest. I, I it's interesting because because it is a historical fiction and it it changes mm-hmm. history, kind of like Inglorious Bastards changes history, right? But it it's so it's similar in that sense. It's like if things could have been different and should have been different, what would what would have happened instead? Right. But to me. Um, I really felt that this was very much kind of a love letter to 1960s LA from Quentin Tarantino, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things that he would have changed and could have changed if he, you know, if he could have rewritten history, you know, how would he have uh, saved uh, Sharon Tate and her friends um, from that awful night, right? I thought that that was, and and how to weave that into another story about real friendship and kind of have this really cool uh, 1960s, early 70s backdrop of LA and all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really loved it. Um, it's something that, again, you know, if you're, if, you, if you're a little squeamish when it comes to violence, just skip the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but it, it is quite satisfying, I will say. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. And this time I, I really focused in even more so on the friendship between uh, Cliff and Rick and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the dialogue. Uh, and again, like we talked about the, the kind of the idiosyncrasies of each of them as they were, you know, next to each other. And, and uh, I can see why when Brad Pitt won, he gave a lot of credit he said, you know, there's a lot of mm. people who work with Leonardo DiCaprio who go on to win and it's because right. of Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not taking away anything that Brad Pitt did, but I just think that they, they worked so well together as a team. I thought that that was, that was brilliant. Right. What yeah, about you? I, I feel, yeah, uh, pretty much the same way. Like you said, kind of a, a love letter, right? So this would have been right about the time that kind of these big Hollywood systems and movie houses started to started to fold and start to consolidate so this would have been sort of the last hurrah for this type of filmmaking um and i've i've mentioned a bunch of times it just it 
it looks incredible the the sound on it is amazing the sound the soundtrack's fantastic if you want to want a good listen uh get the soundtrack but the way that that kind of weaves through the story because they spend a lot of time in the car so you'll hear songs come up on the radio um uh, stuff like that so yeah there's an amazing cover of Joni Mitchell's song that is just brilliant yeah so so definitely really good like I said like you mentioned you know kind of examining their friendship and what that meant and kind of the the disparity between the two right like they were both they're both kind of famous but you know com- on complete opposite ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. for it so uh so that was interesting um and just seeing that period and all sort of its exuberance and excitedness to it yeah um and things so it's it's just really neat and then you know quentin tarantino is sort of a, a master at these sort of monologue kind of things um and the way he presents it so yeah and i think that this one was one of the ones i most enjoyed from a dialogue perspective there have been a couple of films that he's done where i i, I say you know i think to myself in the middle of you know, someone diatribing about something, can they just kind of get over with it and let's go, let's do the stuff. Let's get to mm-hmm. the action. Not that it's an action film, but like, let's get to the part where something happens instead of just talking. Right. And um, this I thought was a really great balance because it had plenty of dialogue and it's a very long movie. It's two hours and 40 some odd minutes, but it doesn't feel like it because there is enough stuff that happens. And again, yeah. the visualization is great. But the dialogue is very present. And so it, it feels like he's finally kind of got the balance for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's enough kind of different storylines going on at the same time that it keeps, you don't feel like it lingers in one place for yeah. for too long. And kind of the, the way that the flashbacks are are done are really interesting and, and well-placed. So, well, that was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, anyone who's listening to this, if you've watched Once Upon a Time, in Hollywood. Uh, let us know what your thoughts on it. Did it uh, deserve to win the Academy Award or uh, was that was that okay? One to skip over? Uh, what do you think about it? So definitely let us know. And if you want to try out your hand at some different whiskey sours, definitely let us know that. I would recommend uh, trying all three and just, you know, just to make sure that you get the one that you like the most. So if you make some whiskey sours, take pictures of those and let us know about that. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Drink the Movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. If you want to see sort of our uh, recap on the movie, pictures of our whiskey sours, the um, written instructions for how to make the whiskey sours, you can find that on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. Michaela, why don't you tell people where they can listen to the podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We'd appreciate it if you subscribed. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review because it really helps us get the Drink the Movies out there. Absolutely. So I am done with three or four whiskey sours. Um, I probably probably shouldn't have any more. Yeah, I I should not have eight. So I think this is where we're going to have to have to cut it off for this week. So we're going to have to uh, go find a new cocktail to try out. So why don't we do that? And then we'll talk to everyone next time on Drink Drink the Movies. movies. That was pretty close. Is that close? Good. Yeah, close-ish.